Well, good morning and welcome to Milton Bible Church. It's great to be together online today, one church family in many homes. We're gonna continue our series on the fruit of the, of the Spirit. And I wanna read Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23, that give us a list of the work of the Holy Spirit in us as God changes us into his image. It says this in Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Today we wanna to talk about kindness, the fruit of kindness in our lives. We wanna talk about the kindness of God towards us that's our foundation in which we operate, and out of that comes our kindness to those around us. So first, I just want to tell you about a story I read this week about a Swiss banker by the name of Henry Dunant. Henry Dunant. In 1859, this Swiss banker went to Italy on business. And while he was there, he witnessed the bloody battle of Solferino on June the 24th. And when the armies withdrew, they left behind those who were desperately wounded on the battlefield. Do not went around to the local villages and he organized some villagers to rescue and to nurse them. They tended the wounded for weeks. Later, Dunant wrote a book asking why some kind of agency couldn't be put together in order to meet the needs of people during catastrophic events. One, one man moved by compassion. Do you know what the result was? Out of that book and out of that effort of this one man came the Red Cross the Red Cross, an organization that since then has helped millions and millions of people in the great tragedies and difficulties of life. His action easily fit the definition of one of the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of kindness. Let's define kindness. This is what kindness means. Kindness is an attitude that results in action towards other people. Let me read that again. Kindness is an attitude that results in action towards other people. So today we're gonna to talk about kindness. Do you know one day a man walked up to Jesus and he asked Jesus, you know, Lord, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And we know what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus was saying is the most important thing in our lives is our relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's saying nothing matters more than relationships. In fact, he's saying if our relationships with others isn't right, then nothing is going to be right. You see, God's word teaches us that success in life plus failure in our relationships equals failure. 
The moment you and I fail in our relationships, no matter how successful the world might see us, we truly have failed. And God's word tells us, by these things shall all men know that you are my disciples. And what are those things? He said that you love one another, that you love one another. Not by how many Bible studies we attend, how many church services, you know, we, we go to, or how many sermons we download and listen to. No, by our love for one another. You know, I love the passage in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, where it says, um, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he talks about when God in his goodness and loving kindness wanted to display those qualities to the world, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he displayed it. That's how he showed us who he really is. So, how, so here's the question. How is Jesus kind to me? How is Jesus kind to me? I'm going to go through a couple ways. Then we're going to talk about how we show kindness to one another. The first way that I see in the scriptures that Jesus shows the kindness of God is he understands my weakness. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it talks about that Jesus, he knows all about me, he understands me, and he understands my weakness. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want to encourage you to come close to God. I want you to encourage you because when you come, even in times of temptation, even in times of failure, even in times when you blow it, even in times where you say to yourself, man, that was a disaster. We can come to God. Why? Because it says Jesus has been tempted in every way like we've been tempted. And what Christ does is when we come to him with a humility and with a sense of, listen, man, we blew it. You know what he does? He doesn't smack us around. He puts his arm around our shoulder and says, man, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly where you're coming from. That no matter what we've done, no matter how we've blown it, you know, we can come. And the scripture says, and there you'll find grace and you'll find mercy. You see, Jesus understands our weaknesses. And I'm really moved when I know that is the kind of God that Jesus has portrayed to us. Next thing I love about Jesus's kindness is he tells me the truth. He tells me the truth. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 26, I love this proverb. It says this, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And basically what it means is those who actually speak truth are actually those who truly love us. They give us the greatest sign of affection. They kiss us right on the lips. Now, I don't want our teenagers going around saying, listen, I wanna have an honest conversation with you. You know, I want us to have a, I wanna give you an honest answer about something. Um, you know, this is a, a proverb. It's a general truth about God's love for us. 
You see, he's kind enough to me that he's willing to tell me the truth about who I am. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you say, you know, Jim, I thought Jesus loved me just the way I am. Well, Jesus does love us just the way we are. He loves you just the way you are. But at the same time, he loves us enough not to leave us where we are, but to invest in us that we might grow and develop and spiritually um, that we might move forward in God. You see, one of the reasons I know that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and one of the things I love about the Bible is it is so blatantly honest about how it presents the heroes of the faith. The Bible is honest enough and has enough integrity regarding heroes like David. David, who the Bible said, was a man after God's own heart. Yet we know from the scriptural account from the honest scriptural account that David also committed adultery. Moses, the greatest leader in the Old Testament, the greatest leader who spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his, uh, his friend, the greatest leader of the Old Testament, because of a rash, acting out, running ahead of God, he missed the greatest part of entering into the promised land. You see, the Bible is honest enough to show him in that way. You see, the Lord wants me to be kind to my own relationships, but he wants me to tell the truth in those relationships. Can I tell you something? If you don't have a truthful relationship and have truthful conversations in your relationships, then you have a very poor foundation for building a relationship that will last. Do you know, I know husbands and wives that never tell each other the truth. They skip around the real issues, they skirt around them. And I suppose the reason they have a hard time telling the truth is because they're fearful of what will happen if they tell the truth we may lose our jobs, we may lose a relationship, so we don't become truth tellers. So therefore, it's tempting for us, instead of telling the truth, to somehow back away from it and skirt the truth. But you know what? If I go to the dentist, because I think I have a cavity, and he takes some x-rays, and he, and he finds out that I do have a cavity, and then he comes to me and he says, Jim, I just want to tell you the results of the x-rays, x-rays, everything looks great to me. Have a good day. Don't worry. Be happy. And I leave. I'll tell you something. He has done me no favors. Instead, what he should have said was, let's get out my drill, the thing that I hate the most in the world, and let's get this thing fixed. That is what should have happened. You know what? There are times when in our kindness to one another that we must confront one another. We must be honest and truthful with one another. I love the fact that kindness and truth go together as partners. They must always happen in that context. Third thing I love uh, about Jesus' kindness is that he forgives my sin. In Romans chapter 3, 23 and 24, 
It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus shows his kindness to me in that he's willing to forgive me for the sins that I've committed, for what I've done. Do you know what? Many people have what I would call a wrong concept of God. They don't see God as kind. They kind of see God acting in a way, you know, like the guy who was driving up towards his mountain retreat, his mountain cabin. And as he drove up, you know, to the mountain cabin, he ran out of gas. And so he got out of the car and he went to walk to a gas station. And while he was gone, his car got hit and, got, and went over the cliff. So he walks the rest of the way up to his mountain cabin. And as he's walking, uh, the snow starts to come, the sleet starts to, to happen, the hail, and he just gets cold right to the bone and starts to catch a cold. And then he rounds, you know, kind of crests the top of the mountain and he sees his cabin there and all of a sudden a bowl of lightning comes out of the sky and, and, and sets his cabin on fire and burns it to the ground. And he sits there, you know, stands there and he, he bangs his head against the tree and says, God, why me? Why me? And the clouds part and a voice from heaven begins to boom because some people just tick me off. You know, some people have that concept of God, that God is just some kind of cosmic killjoy that wants to wait until we blow it, wait till we make a mistake, wait till we fall down, wait till we, you know, become a personal disaster, and then bam, you know, he moves in just to, to, just to, to, to wreck and ruin us. And some people have that concept of God and once in a while, you know, I'll run into people and they, you know, ask me, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Well, they say, I don't believe in God. And, and they especially say, I don't believe in the kind of God that you believe in. And I say to them, you know, there's no point in losing your temper. So I just say to them, well, what kind of God do you believe in? And they begin to tell me what kind of God they think I believe in, uh, that, you know, vindictive, judgmental, you know, you know all the rest. And they just start laying all this stuff at, they also start laying all this stuff out. And you know what I say to them? I don't believe in that God either. I don't believe in that God either. I want to tell you something. Something in what I know about God this morning. I want you to listen to me very carefully. God is your best friend. And about 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be reconciled to him through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, that Christ might bear our sin, that he might, might really pay the price for, for all the wrongs that have happened. And in, 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 in that way, open up a, a way for us to have a relationship with him. Do you know what? Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we could hear the voice of God, so that we could see a picture of the Father, so that we could know what it is that God actually looks like. And that's why throughout the scriptures, you're, you'll find picture after picture of Christ healing the sick, 
feeding the hungry, helping the poor, those who are marginalized and at risk, and those who are far from God and inviting them close. And what he wanted to say is, listen, I want to show you a picture of the Father. I want to show you a picture of who God is because the picture you have is completely distorted. And so he showed a picture of what? Of the kindness of God. The kindness of God. And all I want to say to you is this, is the moment you see a picture of Jesus Christ, you need to see a picture of kindness. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says, For all of us have sinned, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sin. Absolutely spectacular. The next thing I love about the kindness of Jesus is Jesus affirms my worth, affirms my esteem. And I will tell you, in the search for self-esteem, it ends at Christ's esteem. When we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, that he chose us before the foundation of the world that before the foundation of the world was even laid, before the earth was formed, God knew our name and he called our name and he knew us. You know, when I understand God's incredible love for me, it increases my, how I value myself. He affirms my self-worth and it's when I stand in the understanding of being rooted in Christ, I find my esteem. I once read an interview uh, with a rock star, Madonna, and here's what she said. Talk about how poorly someone feels about themselves. Madonna said this. She said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I've pushed past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a kind of special human being. And then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again, and I find, my, uh, and I find a way to get out of that myself, and I do that again and again. And my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being inadequate, and then to being accepted. I'm always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. And my struggle has never ended and probably never will. Do you know what? I think Madonna was right in that last statement when she said, my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. And do you know why? because she does not see herself as God sees her. You know, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. And one day when we stand before the Lord, when we go to meet him, we can ask him that question, Lord, how much do you love me? How much am I worth to you? And do you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna show us the holes in his hands 
where he was nailed to the cross of Christ. And he's going to say, this is how much I love you. I'm willing to die for you. Psychologists tell us that we get our self-worth from looking through the eyes of the people that we value and love the most. And if that person that we love and value values us highly, then our worth begins to grow. And if he or she doesn't, then our worth begins to diminish. And as I've talked about kindness this morning, I want you to look at self, not look at what your background is about or what your, you know, how things, you know, you grew up with your parents or, or your family setting. Not from the things that you've done in the past, not from your accomplishments, good or bad. But look at yourself through the eyes of God, especially through the kindness of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world that whoever believed would not perish, but have eternal life. Understand this, God is your best friend and he is the best friend that you will ever have. That is God's kindness toward us. That is the foundation that we stand upon. And let me just make one closing point about how that should affect us in our kindness to others. The kindness of God's people. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse six and seven says this. It says that we're to have tender concern for others. Listen to what Paul writes the Thessalonians. He says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, I don't know of a more tender picture than a nursing mother with her infant child. And Paul says that is the way, as a Christian leader, we acted and took care of you. That's why it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all. There's a guy, uh, you probably never heard of him, but you've heard of what he's done. He's a professor from Bakersfield College by the name of Chuck Wall. And he got so tired of hearing about random acts of violence he began a campaign called Random Acts of Senseless Kindness. He assigned his students an essay on the subject, and before long, bumper stickers began to show up all over town and all over the state that said, today I will commit one random act of senseless kindness. Will you? Another person wrote a book about performing these acts. The book was entitled Guerrilla, uh, Guerrilla Kindness. And in the book, this is what the author writes. He writes, when we do kindness with any regard for recognition of reward, when we inconvenience ourselves and freely give part of ourselves away, 
we challenge the every person for themselves philosophy of our day. And the author then goes on to cite a number of positive medical um, proofs that human beings really were meant to be kind to one another. He talks about the power of doing good. And he writes this, people who regularly help others develop stronger immune systems, improve cardiovascular circulation, and have a heightened sense of well-being. He says, in fact, they also live longer. So he concludes this, be kind and live longer. Be kind and live longer. So church, our teaching for today is this. For anyone who might listen, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the activity of the work of God within the people of God is when we realize how much God loves us, how great his kindnesses have been toward us, so much so that we will be kind towards others. So here's the lesson for today. This is what I wanna close with. Are you ready? We're gonna show it on the screen. Today, I will commit one random act of senseless kindness. Can you say that out loud? I'm going to read it again. Today, I will commit one random act of senseless kindness. Once that is completed, the sermon is done. Let's pray that the Spirit of God stirs that up and we be doers of the word and not hears only. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love towards us. Thank you that the fruit of the Holy Spirit living within us is kindness, actions of kindness towards others. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be living words of God in our community, in our neighborhood, and in our nation. And may we commit one act of senseless kindness towards someone today. Why? Because we are grounded in kindness. We love the way you love us. And so we love others. So Father, as we finish this teaching, we just pray that there would just be an unleashing of kindness to all those around us. We pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited next week when we begin to live stream our services uh, onto the internet. Well, and uh, just really excited that you know, in a very special way, we will all continue to be together again. All right, God bless. Have a great week. Great week. Love you, church. And I look forward to the day of being all together again. God bless.